We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined as always by the founder and president of eRenewable, Mr. Mike Niemer. Mike, how are you on this beautiful fall afternoon? Well, couldn't be any better. You know, uh, Houston has its hot days. Well, today is not as hot as it has been, so that's a fine day. And uh, you kind of feel like it's a little bit of fall weather going on here, and so... Hard to believe at 90 degrees we feel that way, but we do. So uh, it's great today here in Houston, and I'm so excited to have Tim on our show today. The Green Insider Podcast, which you can find at all of the podcast locations, whether it be Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the places where you find or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, we'll tell you throughout the course of the show to make sure that when you do go check us out, we ask that you leave us a five-star review. And if you want to leave a review, be our guest. But we definitely want you to leave a five-star review. Why? Because we promise that when you're done with this program, you're going to know more about renewable energy than before you started. And we can't uh, ask you enough to go check out the brand new website that we just had redesigned. We're very, very excited about that as well. Please go to eRenew.net. That's eRenew.net. So without further ado, let's welcome to the program from the beautiful state of Georgia, Public Service Commissioner and Vice Chairman of the Public, uh, excuse me, of the Public Service Commission, one Mr. Tim Eccles. Uh, been a public servant now for 10 plus years, been a lifelong uh, resident of the state of Georgia and um, I'll tell you what, when it comes to what you've been able to do, Commissioner Eccles, in the state of Georgia, I'm fascinated by just kind of like your history, how you came about, uh, you know, in, in, in public service. But more importantly, what you've done with the state of Georgia, where where they were at from a renewable standpoint when you came on board, where they're at now, where Georgia continues to grow as a leader in renewable energy, not just in the southeast or in the south, but I'm talking about the entire United States of America. Um, what is it? about the state of Georgia. We know, it, obviously, the sun is, it goes without saying, and just the, the beautiful climate that you guys are in. But more importantly, with where you were at when you came on board back in 2010, what, was, what did you see from a renewable energy standpoint, and what made you kind of get on the train that said, all right, we need to look at other ways of, of kind of expanding where we're at energy-wise? Well, guys, it's great to be with you, and it is beautiful here in Georgia. Uh, but I, I tell you, the, our, our, our road to the renewables have, has been long and winding. We, we weren't the first on board with it. And uh, in fact, we got criticized for being a little bit slow uh, to this. I mean, we were fast in certain things, nuclear energy. I mean, we're the only state building nuclear power in, in America right now, um, you know, commercial reactors. But with solar, we were slow and we made a decision. A couple of us went to Germany, saw what they were doing over there, came back and and really felt like there were certain things that we wanted to do very different than they had done in Germany and California. And we set about to try to make that happen. So what exactly was it that you saw going to Germany and, and of all the places, I mean, what made you guys of, of all the places in the world that you could have gone to why Germany? Well, the Germans really have done an incredible job adding renewable energy, wind and solar to their grid. But boy, it has been at a cost and they have subsidized it substantially. They've got extremely high energy costs. 
Uh, and frankly, we, we really didn't want to prop up the industry. Yeah. So I think the first thing that we decided when we came back, uh, this is Commissioner McDonald, myself, we went on separate trips and I really credit him with really having the political muscle to make this happen in the early years in Georgia, 2011, 12, and 13, when we really jump-started solar in our state, we wanted the utility at the table. I mean, you hear so many states, particularly states like California, uh, they seem to be at war with their utilities. And we weren't interested in going to war with Georgia Power or any of our EMCs or our municipal utilities. We wanted them at the table, we wanted them to learn along with us and to ultimately profit from solar and to be a champion for it. And that's exactly what's happened. Well, that's just awesome. So as you started to grow and expand that market within the state of Georgia, how much flack did you get from the constituents that they wanted it or they didn't want it? I mean, uh, how did your public view what you were trying to do? Yeah, our, our left-leaning constituents, we couldn't do enough for them. Uh, they were, you know, they were wanting solar early. They wanted it subsidized. They wanted net metering. They wanted any and everything. They didn't care how it was done. I'm a Republican, and I, I you know, I'm, I wasn't really interested in doing it like the Democrats had done it in a lot of blue states. Uh, the Tea Party folks back in 2013, when we compelled the power company to uh, to do 525 megawatts of solar, now right now that doesn't seem like a lot, but in 2013, especially in Georgia, it was like you know we were moving heaven and earth on this, and right. the Tea Party Tea Party really pushed back against us. We it, they were divided. There was a Green Tea Party uh, that was headed up by a gal named Debbie Dooley. And then there was a more traditional Tea Party that that basically said, we're going to kick you guys out of office. Uh, and we we urged caution. We, we urged them to wait that this was going to work. And uh, in fact, it has worked wonderfully. And, and our solar costs are below the avoided cost of energy in our state. So not only are we not subsidizing it, it is fractionally lowering everybody's bill. So what I tell my Republican friends uh, and and voters out there is, look, you may not like solar uh, yourself, but hey, you need to hug hug somebody with a solar array because their arrays and and the arrays around our state are lowering your bills. And that's a great thing for the state of Georgia. So uh, as that all developed, are you now all the way built into having community aggregations within? Because you're a regulated state for electricity, right? Deregulated for natural gas. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So have you have they already expanded into community solar for the different communities? How are some of the cities handling that? Or is it strictly, you, you know, put the solar panel on your roof for right now and you haven't quite got to the community aggregation part of it? Well, 95% of our solar is in fields in middle and south Georgia, okay. 100, 500,000, 2,000 acres of solar panels. And when you do it at that kind of a scale, uh, market-based, right? right. And what's allowed us to do this market-based is we, we didn't have a renewable portfolio standard that our legislature came in with 
That's what's caused solar prices to be out of whack. It's when a legislature says you got to do it and you got to do it by this date and you have all the levers moving to try to get all the solar placed out there, regardless of price, where our commission came in and said, yeah, we're going to do 525 megawatts, but it has to be below the avoided cost or we're not going to approve it. So having it below the avoided cost of energy and for listeners out there, that avoided cost is that lowest cost of, of energy that you would have on the grid for us for many years has been coal or nuclear energy. Now, utility scale solar going in to middle and South Georgia fields in poor counties with flatland near substations, this stuff is going in at around three cents a kilowatt, uh, a, a little bit more, uh, and, but not much. I mean, that is a, a really cheap price. Uh, and as we put that on the grid, it's done a, a couple of things. It's given us cheap energy, but it's also allowed us to go into a county with poor economic development, with oftentimes, uh, oftentimes an African-American community that didn't have much of a tax base or tax digest. And it, it allows us to take land that wasn't worth much, raise the value of it because we're putting solar panels and inverters and expensive equipment on it. And I've got one county that said, the county commission chairman told me that that solar array that you guys did, which is the largest in our state right now, by the way, that solar array of 2000 acres uh, doubled their tax digest. Uh, so, you know, it's a substantial boost that pr helps provide local, local roads, libraries, ambulances, ball field lights. And when you, when you have, when you have people benefiting from a policy like that, all of a sudden it went from being something people were afraid of. I'm talking re my Republican friends and my Tea Party friends to something where they're going, hey, how can I get more of this stuff? Yeah, that's great. For our listeners out there, when you talk about a solar array on 2,000 acres, how many megawatts is that? Yeah, about 220 megawatts of solar is pretty substantial. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we just like to have everybody be able to put a, a ratio to it so they could just kind of uh, know what we're talking about. So that's that's wonderful, Commissioner. That's that's great, and congratulations for all that effort that you and the other commissioners have put together. And you couldn't help but I couldn't help but laugh when you were talking about the left and the right, and then you said Green Tea Party. It just struck me as funny because I had some green tea last night, so it just kind of made me chuckle when you said that. Anyway, what do you think, Fred? How long did that project take to uh, put together, and, and what was kind of the, the from soup to nuts? How long did a project like that come from as far as it, 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 it's, you know, devising the project, the planning stages to, okay, we're done, now, you know, let's, let's you know, uh, cut the ribbon and, and, and get this thing working? Yeah, that big project down in Twix County, we approved it in 2016, and it's, you know, it's just now coming and being energized. I mean, it's it was energized, you know, as it was being built, uh, but it's just about done now. So that's about a four-year four year from approval to completion. Um, so, I mean, they had to bid and compete against other large solar companies, many of them from North Carolina, California, Canada, other places as they bid, uh, extremely competitive. 
So you put this in, and obviously, you know, you 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 uh, you know, you're able to. I mean, four years. I mean, I'm sure you provided a lot of jobs during that time, uh, which is obviously a boon for the county and a boon for the state. Um, what's been kind of and and you know, being the political realm, obviously, like you said, you've got plenty of, of good feedback. Were there are there any? What, what were some of the criticisms of the project, and what have you? What's the biggest thing you guys have taken away that you've learned from this project that you'll uh, uh, you know apply to the next one? I think some of the folks down in middle Georgia uh, felt like, hey, wait a second, this would have been pine trees. And now, uh, you know, all of these saplings have been cut down because in this particular field, there there was a growth of about three years worth of, you know, three years of trees. So they were about as tall as me and you. And all of those were removed. Uh, and so instead of uh, that massive, massive um uh, acreage of pine trees uh, it was displaced you know by solar our legislature had gone in and basically changed the law and said that that the conservation tax you know tax parcel that your land was was sitting in as a forester that you weren't going to be penalized and have that taken away if you changed the purpose of the land and added solar that was a that was a huge thing because that land had previously been really unmarketable uh, for solar because there was a penalty if you pulled it out of that that conservation easement, so to speak, for forestry. Um, and when the legislature changed it, that uh, allowed landowners and far you know far companies, forestry companies like Kruger and others, to make the calculation and say, well. You know, I've only got three years worth of growth here. You know, we'll we'll take all of this down. We'll uh, essentially chip all this and take it to the paper mill over there in Dublin. Uh, and since we're close to a substation, it makes this land marketable. I mean, we've got 26 million acres of pine trees here in Georgia. It's one of our largest industries. So 2,000 acres is, you know, a drop in the bucket with 26 million um, it, it's really the proximity proximity to these substations right. that make your land valuable. It, it can't be it can't be five miles away. It's got to be a mile away because the way we set this up is you, the landowner, are going to have to pay the internet interconnection costs to get that power from your parcel to the substation, and you can't go a long way without knocking your project, you know, out of. Uh, out of a financial wax. So are you seeing now more folks, more landowners that, again, maybe were uh, a little bit, you know, maybe not friendly with the idea or just maybe kind of oblivious to it. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing more and more folks suddenly say, OK, maybe let me let me, let me uh, see if I can, you know, turn my land into a uh, solar farm. Yeah. And, and, and you know why? Because in Georgia, we approve 30 year PPAs. So you go wow. to a state like California and some of their, you know, their solar PPAs were only five years. And, uh, you know, even though we weren't paying as much for, you know, the kilowatts, we were giving, you know, 20, 25 or 30 year PPAs, take your choice. And so you're getting a 30 year commitment and imagine you as a landowner. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a generation or two, uh, you know, so it's a substantial commitment. And I think a lot of, I think what a lot of people overlook are the terms and conditions, the importance of terms 
and conditions. And a 30-year power purchase agreement is, you know, an outstanding arrangement to be able to have, you know, on a utility-scale solar field. Now, that's awesome. Now, as you've developed all those uh, large utility-scale projects, once that started being done, did you see uh, commercial industrials and small municipalities start building microgrids within their own network of, you know, the campus where their facilities at or different cities working on the microgrids after that started growing out in the uh, middle of Georgia? There were a lot of questions about microgrids, and I think it's going to become a trend. I just think we're we're really at the very beginning of it. So, you know, I regulate, you know, the Georgia Power, the largest utility in the state. Cities have their own separate power systems, often buying their power wholesale from Georgia Power. And then, of course, the EMCs, the cooperatives, are nonprofit organizations, essentially, and we have uh, 41 of them in the state. They have tried to do solar, but they haven't been able to keep up with the big utility. Uh, I mean, Georgia Power, one, there's a group of five regulators, me and my four colleagues, that compel them to do things. The EMCs, they have to work, well, they're 41 people, right? 41 presidents that are trying to decide, okay, do we do more solar, do we not? And then, of course, if you're in a city, you know, probably the city that has had the most success in Georgia is the city of Dalton, which is the carpet capital of uh, of the U.S. Uh, so you've got lots of carpet mills and hardwood floor mills that are there. They have their own city utility, and they've done quite a bit uh, of solar. Atlanta has done some, but they're a Georgia Power customer. They don't have their own generation. So they've got some behind-the-meter stuff. They've got about 80 arrays, small rooftop rooftop stuff. Right. But our commission, the the you know, the route that we've gone with Georgia Power for the most part is large utility arrays at you know that are scaled up because that delivers the the very cheapest price. Gotcha. How was Georgia Power? What, what was the, kind of their feeling when you guys approached them about, you know, becoming more more solar uh, friendly? Because, again, you guys did kind of, I don't want to say buck the trend, but you took, the, you took a different route than what other states uh, that have high solar uh, capacities or production rates. I mean, again, there's, there's subsidies. But, again, you guys didn't do that. How, how amenable was Georgia Power to your guys' uh, considerations and just kind of your suggestions to them? Yeah, in 11, 12, and 13, they weren't very cooperative at all. Uh, they, you know, I mean, yeah, they're, you know, a bunch of Auburn and Georgia Tech engineers over there. And they, they, <laughs> there it is. There it they is. Certainly, they certainly know a lot about. They couldn't help themselves. Engineering, but. He couldn't help himself man, either. I think, I think they viewed, I think they viewed solar um, as some kind of competition to their monopoly. And uh, we, we told them, look, you know, you can do this and we're going to put you at the head of the table and we want you to do X amount of, of megawatts. And as they begin to experiment with it and to follow our order, they figured it out. Now they've got a huge department over there and they are, you know, you would have think, you, you think from talking to them now, they invented the stuff uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, that they, they're, they're so confident uh, about it. And, you know, I mean, 
I appreciate the tension, you know, between the commission and, you know, and the, and the power company. And frankly, without Republican colleagues, this thing could get out of line really quick. I mean, if, if, if two of my Republican colleagues lose their election and I lose in 2022, and we have three uh, Democrats on, on our commission that feel like, you know what, we're going to just become the solar capital of the world. I mean, they could, they could compel the power company to build solar above avoided costs. They could do all kinds of things. Uh, I just feel like we've taken a very conservative kind of a red state approach to it. And yeah, we don't have, we don't have the most in the U S I mean, we're, I think we're ninth. I mean, North Carolina still has more than we do. Uh, and we'll, I mean, nobody will ever catch, you know, a California and a Texas. Uh, but we've got a nice balance and we're not at war with natural gas. I mean, I mean, we're building nuclear energy. We like to, we treat energy like a 401k. I mean, we, we like it to be balanced. We don't, our goal is not to get to 100% clean energy. I mean, that is not, that is, that is not what we're doing. We, we want a reliable grid that we never have to have a rolling blackout. Uh, you know, like a California. And if you get out of balance, like they have in California, where you're shutting off natural gas plants and you're closing nuclear plants, you're going to make yourself vulnerable. We keep a very high reserve margin, about 11% uh, with our utility, and, and we pay for that reserve margin. But you know what? We don't, we don't have rolling blackouts. Hey, Commissioner, I know... Uh as I touched on earlier about deregulation versus regulation. I know you're deregulated natural gas because I've sold a lot of gas in there. Georgia Pacific has been a big customer of mine in the past. So done a lot of business in your state. Is there any talk ever of turning the electricity side of that state from regulated to deregulated? Or are you guys just locked in and regulated all it's going to be? I mean, why would I want to conduct a social experiment <laughs> here in Georgia with a system that delivers energy at 14% below the national average, where I've got a five-star gold-plated utility that, that, ha, ha, that, that has a 10.5% return on equity and a 55% capital structure? Why would I want to monkey with that on some theory that a deregulated electricity market would be better. The only way I would ever move uh, move in that direction is if Georgia Power went crazy. Like they're not, you know, they're not answering the phones. Their trucks are breaking down. There's blackouts. There's just there's just electron disaster in my state. Only if there's something bad that really happens would I even remotely even talk about something like that? I mean, uh, yeah, I love the deregulated gas market. And when that happened back when Sonny Perdue was, you know, a state senator and they tried all that, there were some bumps in the road initially. But, and I'm just not willing to gamble with the electricity. It's just absolutely too critical. So with that great answer that you gave, you knew you had all your stats, you were ready. How often do you get asked that question? About five people per year. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm glad that we can share with all of our uh, listeners. 
your view on that. And now we know what, how Georgia stands. That's a great answer. I appreciate that. You know, uh, Commissioner, you mentioned us several times, and one of the things that caught my attention was the fact that, again, you are a Republican, and let's call it what it is. There's not, you don't, uh, Republicans, right, and clean energy typically aren't all things that you hear uttered in the same sentence. What you talk about, you've talked about your constituents and your, and more important, more importantly, your colleagues that have kind of helped you guys kind of take this conservative approach, which, I mean, let's call it what it is. You got, like you said, you guys were 34th uh, in the country in solar production when you came on board 10 years ago, and you guys right now are sitting at ninth um, and, and again, continue to trend upwards. What, um, you know, what, what, what has been your constituents' response, and, and how has it been selling folks on the idea that, you know, yes, in addition to fossil fuels, we all love our oil, we all love our gas. But there is a, a world, there is a future where we can also incorporate clean energy. How's that been? How are you able to do that? Yeah, I get much more pushback on my support of electric cars than I do solar. I think okay. Republicans, I think Republicans, uh, for the most part, uh, have embraced just the concept of utilizing solar. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're they're not wanting us to go crazy and be a California, but I don't see Republicans that hate solar the way that they did when I took office after the Solyndra debacle, uh, which, which was solar thermal, by the way, uh, you know, that, that, it, that bankruptcy that they had back then, I think Republicans felt like it was just something for Democrats. Uh, but now, and I, and I really, I really credit what we've done in Georgia in getting it so spread out throughout middle and South Georgia, benefiting all of these poor counties. Um, and, and, and frankly, some of those counties are sitting in, you know, most of them are sitting in Republican districts. And so those Republican lawmakers, many of whom, you know, gave us pushback in 11 and 12 and 13, they're now believers. And so they're, they're saying, Hey, wow, this is, this has been good for my County. Our, you know, we we lost this factory and this this business, but this solar has kind of helped prop things up financially for us. And so, you know, I, I, then I think it's become kind of an economic development tool because you've got companies like Facebook that are coming in here building, you know, building a data center. And they say, you know, we'd like the whole thing powered by solar, or at least the equivalent thereof. And. So when you've got large companies, Amazon, Facebook coming in, these companies have have sustainability kind of in their corporate DNA. They want to see some some of it. They want to hear the economic development officers talking about it. And I, I think as we've added it in a you know in a way that hasn't jeopardized our our grid and our our reliability, our prices, I think it's given a boost, you know, to economic development as well. Now, another thing you're a proponent of is nuclear energy, and you touched on it a little bit here in the show. But, um, and you know, Mike and I have, have talked about it a little bit here and there, and we really haven't had any guests that have come on to really been able to give us a, 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 you know, really delve into it too much. Where does nuclear energy stand in the in the grand scheme of, of clean energy and, and just kind of, you know, what is clean, what is nuclear energy's role in powering this country in the future? Well, I mean, we've got, you know, about 100 hundred reactors, you know, going right now. Uh, so it is a, a very important part of the U S grid. 
sitting here today. But as you gradually begin to turn those off, right, um, after the, the end of their useful life, and you decommission those, and this is going to, you know, take place over the next 20, 30 years, then you've got to replace it with something. And if you've got people clamoring for clean energy, uh, and I say clamoring because in, in a lot of states, that's what they're doing. They're demanding it. Um, then what are you going to replace that nuclear energy with, right, in order to be able to provide the voltage, the, the baseload power you need. Well, natural gas would be logical, right? Because it's cheap, but states like California, New York, others are turning against natural gas uh, because of fracking, because it's a fossil fuel. So if you take natural gas off the table, you've taken nuclear off the table, you definitely don't like coal. What, what what are you going to do? Well, oh, oh, the batteries. Oh, worship the batteries, the batteries. Um, well, I mean, every form of energy has some kind of carbon footprint to it. I, I was talking to a guy on Twitter last night who was arguing with me about solar. I mean, he, he was for it. He thought it should replace everything. And I said, well, what about the carbon intensity of the manufacturing in China, right? They're making it in plants powered by coal that's not scrubbed. That's unscrubbed coal plants over there in China. And then they're, you know, who knows what kind of labor they're using to build it, whether it's slave labor or not. And you got some human toll there. And then you're gonna, and then you're gonna load it up on a container ship and you're gonna diesel power it all the way over here. And then you've got the intensity to be able to you know, all this required to transport it to the side. I mean, it's not carbon free. Uh, and, you know, we, you know, we treat solar and batteries like they're, you know, like they're from God or something. And, uh, and there, you know, there's recycling issues involved with both lithium ion and solar panels. I mean, it's not perfect. No form of energy is perfect. And so to answer your question, Nuclear energy should be an important part of going forward in the U.S. I mean, we're building two 1,100 megawatt units that will have at least an 80-year an life, maybe a 100-year life. Well, I mean, solar panels are warranted at about 25 years. A wind turbine gearbox has a two-year warranty on it. So, and we're building something that is substantial that runs 24 seven. You don't even have to change the fuel out except every year and a half. That fuel sits in there for a year and a half and that thing runs, you know, 24 seven with zero carbon emissions. Uh, yeah, China gets it, Russia gets it, India gets it. Uh, but the US for whatever reason, we have, we, we have folks um, on the West Coast and many other places that just will not embrace nuclear energy. Is it just the, and, and just from a little bit I've read on it, I mean, I, I guess what, the Three Rivers incident over there in Pennsylvania, uh, is, and granted that was, what, 30, 40 years ago that that took place. Is, there, is, it, is it just a feeling of, you know, God forbid, what if? Because, you know, you talk about the solar, you talk about the wind, you know, it doesn't have that dramatic 
negative, and I, I don't want to use the word negativity, but you know what I'm saying, like that, that downside, whereas, you know, obviously a nuclear reactor melting down would be obviously problematic for everybody involved. Is that, do you think that's the, the and, and again, that's a kind of a big deal, but I guess my point is, is, is that kind of the harbinger in all this? Is that just the, the what if of a nuclear reactor going bad? Is it a security yeah, I mean, threat? The, the industry can't afford any kind of catastrophic accident every right. every dozen years. So you you had the the Three Mile Island incident. I'm sorry, Three where, Mile. Yes, where, yeah, where they where they where they shut everything down. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a contamination spill. Uh, you know, nothing blew up. It it didn't happen. But they shut they shut things down there. Then you had the Chernobyl accident, which was a substantial accident. Right. Um, and then you had the Fukushima accident in Japan. Um, and that was a for real, uh, a for real accident. And so you can't go along every 12 or 15 years and have this kind of an accident and the industry survive. Exactly. So, and any- so I do, I do think people are fearful about, about those, um, now, anybody that goes to a Georgia Tech or any engineering school, they're not afraid of nuclear energy. I, I'm going to give the Tech and Auburn guys this, that when you go to an engineering school, you are not afraid. But if you go to the University of Georgia and you're an art major, a drama major, uh, you work at Starbucks, uh, you know, you, 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 you might be, you know, you might be afraid of nuclear energy. And if you're getting all your information from left-leaning podcasts, you might be afraid of, of nuclear energy. I mean, we, we shouldn't be, but you know, that's why podcasts are so important guys is that you, you, you've got to, you've got to have a broad education and you got to understand this. We haven't had, we haven't had an accident uh, here in the U S you know, where people are getting killed with nuclear energy. You know, the other people that complain are the ones that say, what about the waste, right? All, all the waste. Well, let me tell you about the waste is that you think about how much garbage you use in your life. My trash man picked up my trash today. We have two, two, big, two big containers of trash a week that we put on the street. The amount of nuclear energy that, that, I would consume or the amount of nuclear waste that represents the amount of nuclear energy that I consume for my entire life. My science friends tell me fits in a Coca-Cola can, a 12 ounce can. So that spent fuel, 12 ounces of spent fuel is what it takes to generate all of the energy that I'm going to use for my entire life. And you can take all the commercial fuel spent fuel that has been produced by every reactor in the United States, over a hundred reactors. And you can put all of that spent fuel today in the Mercedes Benz stadium in Atlanta where the Falcons play on the field stacked up and it will all go from all the States. It will all go in that one building on that field. That's how concentrated the waste is. There's nothing to be afraid of about the waste. Well, to say that uh, you you're, you're a little passionate about the nuclear side would be uh, would certainly be an understatement. Almost as much. What, what do you have more? What do you have more love for? Your Georgia Bulldogs or uh, talking nuclear energy? Well, I, I don't. I'm thinking on that. 
I don't want to have to answer that question. I'm too close to my election year. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. One other thing, and, and, and again, this goes back to what you've been doing for the last uh, 10 years we talked about, is the um, Clean Energy Roadshow uh, that you've been doing for the last 10 years. I know you started out doing the Solar Express where you were driving around a uh, solar-powered car just to kind of go throughout the, the you know communities in the state of Georgia. Um, a little bit, just you know, tell us about how that started. Um, you know, what kind of, of, of things have you come or have you learned uh, about your state? Because, again, I know you're a, a lifelong Georgia but I'm sure there's a few things you've picked up as you've traveled out through the state over the last decade. And just kind of what's been the, 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 the response to the, uh, the, the Clean Energy Roadshow? Yeah, before I got elected, I actually bought a natural gas car, a Honda Civic. Uh, it had, you know, the original natural gas engine, 98 model. Um, I bought that because I wanted us to, you know, experiment with more alternative fuel in Georgia. So, I drove that around a couple years, uh, very difficult to find fueling stations. And then the Nissan Leaf, the electric cars came along. I got one of those. I had a flex fuel state car that I was putting E85 ethanol in, running it on the corn ethanol. I got a propane van that I campaigned in that ran just on propane. And then I've had three other electric cars. So I've tried all of this and you know what? I mean, we don't have a single oil well here. I don't know how many oil wells they have in Kansas, but we don't we don't have any oil wells here. We don't have any refineries here. I know all the refineries are down there in Houston and, you know, in that area. So I felt like, man, let's let's come up with some other ways that we can power the eight million vehicles that we have here in Georgia, you know, that you know, that might make sense. So I created this roadshow to take all of these type of cars, trucks, by the way including UPS tractors that were running on liquefied natural gas, other things. Let's figure out how to market natural gas cars, liquefied natural gas cars, EVs, uh, into, in, to, to our citizens if it makes sense for them. And that's the thing. It's got to make sense. And so I, I wasn't necessarily out telling everybody they should do it. I was just educating people just in case it might work for them. And it's, it's That's more, awesome. No, it, it absolutely is. I mean, I, I certainly applaud that. And again, obviously, you've gotten some good feedback. And there's just something to be said for, and and it kind of just you li- listen to you talk about that. It kind of dovetailed to what me and Mike have been doing with this with this podcast is. Listen, I, I'm not going to get into arguments with my family and tell them, you know, you should do. Like you said, I'm not going to tell you, hey, you need to put solar panels up, or if you don't have wind power, then you know, shame on you. But at least presenting folks with the information to help them make an informed decision, I think that goes a long way. And I think the response you get from folks when you simply just present them with unbiased, just pure information certainly goes a long way. Than like you said, Commissioner, when you're just simply trying to jam it down their throat and saying this is what you need to do. There's a lot of guilting going on out there in politics these days, people demanding things and insisting on things. It's an ugly environment in politics. Uh, and in some ways, I really I really hate it because people are so nasty to each other. I mean, I, I, I love going into left-leaning environments and speaking and, you know, explaining why I do things the way that I do and how I like a slow approach and, you know, why, why money is important. And why helping people prosper and be successful is a part of who I am as a Republican, as a conservative, uh, as an evangelical. Um, 
and and why why there's nothing wrong with going slow. You know, all of these all of these climate guys out there is is such it's so important, right? It has to happen. Ten years, twelve years, fifteen years. You got to do it. You got to make these changes. The U.S. has to handcuff themselves. We've got to do this. Doesn't matter if China does it. No, 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 no. We're 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 going to do things slowly in my state, and I don't want California or New York or anybody else telling me what to do down here in Georgia. That leads me to a question because you're so right. So many of these cities and states across the country are saying, by 2030, I'll be 50% green, and by 2040, we'll be 100%. And some are even more aggressive than that. And it seems kind of unrealistic to think that some of them are going to be able to achieve that. That leads me to my question to you for your state of Georgia. You know, we see on our side more and more people doing virtual PPAs, okay? And that's the financial swap where they have a swap on the energy and they also get the renewable energy credit that comes associated with it. Or by you being in a regulated state, some of your industrials there, your cities there or universities, if they wanted to go greener faster, they could use a virtual PPA to do it. Is that something you commissioners are encouraging or are you actually staying away from that topic at the moment? I don't think we're encouraging them to do it. I certainly, I certainly have talked about it on our radio show as an option. And, you know, who am I to tell, you know, a publicly traded company, how, how they, how are they, how they're to run their business and their sustainability program. If, if it's important for, for Apple and Microsoft and Google and Amazon to, you know, to have quote 50% by this date or 70% by this date, if, if, if they set that goal and their board of directors have approved that and virtual PPAs are an option to help them achieve it, well, I mean, that's one of the tools in the toolbox, toolbox that they can use. Uh, but I am seeing a trend for cities and companies to not want to do things with, with certificates or, you know, or do things virtually. I'm seeing, I'm seeing these companies say things like, we want, we want real panels within X number of miles of our facility providing power for this. Uh, we want it to be, uh, we don't want to swap. We want real green energy. And I didn't really see that early on in 12, 13, 14. I saw a lot of people pretty happy with, you know, renewable energy certificates uh, where, where now the appetite is, is moving more towards uh, having, you know, having the real energy. Commissioner Tim Eccles, Public Service Commission for the state of Georgia here on the Green Insider Podcast. Commissioner Eccles, we'll get you out of here with this. Uh, when you came on board uh, 10 years ago, you guys, and I was just, I'm just going off of uh, the, the speech I heard you give on your podcast or on your radio show the other day. Um, you guys had about four megawatts uh, of solar power, 25 acres. Uh, hell, you just finished up over 500 megawatts and, and 2,000 acres on a four-year project. 
to say the impact that you've had uh, on on the solar industry in the state of Georgia, um, you know, again, it, it, it's been a Kirby Smart like uh, impact to say the least. Uh, in fact, the like I said, the the folks, the conservatives of clean energy, called you the solar architect of Georgia. As you go into your reelection, as you go into you know, continuing to reshape how how Georgia gets its power, what's next for Commissioner Eccles uh, on what you're trying to do, and just for the state of Georgia over the next five to ten years? Certainly finishing this nuclear power plant, uh, the seven South Carolina commissioners that canceled their plant, and it was a sister plant running simultaneous, same equipment, same contractor, the seven commissioners that were involved with canceling that, they've all lost their job. So you can conclude what my colleague said to me in 17, the only thing worse than going over budget and overtime on this is canceling it. And yeah. And that has proven to be the case. I think the next big thing that I'm teeing up is electric school buses and really encouraging our school systems to move in this direction and renewable natural gas, you know, being able to manufacture renewable natural gas from chicken litter in particular, cow manure, uh, and, and manufacturing more of this out of landfills. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a resource that's sitting there. Uh, we just got to come up with the right value proposition to make it work. So, uh, and I think some of the companies coming into Georgia can have a real important role in doing that. So I think uh, finish the nuclear plants in the next two years, move to electric school buses and renewable natural gas. And of course, keeping rates at least 14% below the natural national average. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the show that you were on Twitter. Uh, go ahead and give the folks out there your Twitter account. Yes, yeah, so I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. Tim Eccles, love to have you follow me. My show, my radio shows at Matters Radio. You can go to timeccles.com, T-I-M-E-C-H-O-L-S, and you can get a link to the radio show and everything else that I'm involved with. Commissioner, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, again, you're doing uh, God's work down there in the state of Georgia. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Tim. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again to Commissioner Tim Eccles of the Public Service Commission in the great state of Georgia for joining us here on Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. Mike, I tell you what, uh, as we've learned, if we've learned anything, and the folks that have been uh, regular listeners of this podcast, Mike, is the one thing you can take away from the renewable world, and we're, you and I are both learning as well, is that not n- n- not one guest is created the same. Not one guest is is is, is uh, going to have the same viewpoint, and you're going to learn something different because the one thing about the renewable energy world that we're learning about is there's just so many different caveats to it. And, and, and while we're all looking for the same, you know, end goal and end result, there's just so many things that go into making renewable energy uh, a reality in whatever state you're in. Boy, isn't that the truth? You know, I really want to thank commissioner Eccles. Uh, He hit me up on Twitter a week ago and then I invited him to do the podcast. He brought a different light to the to our program. Absolutely. He showed us stuff we've not talked to another guest about. He talked to it from the state's view, from a commissioner view. And it's rare that we get that opportunity. So my heartfelt thanks go out to him for taking the time tonight to talk to us. We appreciate it. We hope all the listeners appreciate what they hear. There's some very good information that you're not getting anywhere else. So no. Once again, I think we did our job by delivering education. 
to all of our listeners. And thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. No, I'll tell you what, uh, to get kind of a political side, because, again, a lot of the folks we've talked to have all been in the private sector. And, you know, I mean, that makes sense. But, um, you know, and, and more importantly, f- to see what he's been able to do in the state of Georgia. I mean, again, talking about, you know, when he got on board there in 2010 is, uh, on the public commission and they had 25 acres uh, devoted to solar power. And here they are 10 years later completing a four-year 2,000-acre over 500-megawatt project just says a lot about what they're doing in, in the state of Georgia. And to go from 34th uh, in, in, in solar power production to now in the top 10 certainly says a lot about what they're doing and kind of what they're headed on. And like you said, Mike, you know, we really hadn't talked at all about nuclear energy here on the show. And again, I'm sure that as we go on and, and, and we, you know, start to you know throw a few more episodes on there, we're going to get some some contrasting views on, on you know, whether it's worth or, or, you know, where does nuclear energy stand. But certainly uh, Commissioner Eccles certainly feels uh, quite strong in his take on, on, on the benefits of having nuclear energy in their state. So, uh, again, like you said, Mike, just another good, uh, another good little piece of information that I promise you most folks didn't know before they tuned in. So make sure, as Mike alluded to earlier in the program, make sure you go check out eRenew.net, the brand new website. Well, it's it's our website, but it's been uh, redesigned. Very excited about that. Much more user-friendly and just much more aesthetically pleasing and a lot easier to find what you want to learn about eRenew, what we do, and of course the e-media side of things, both the blog as well as the podcast. So thank you so much for listening to it. You can catch all of the podcasts at whatever podcast um provider you use whether it's apple which is some of the folks here use google spotify wherever you get your podcast make sure you can go check it out and of course you can always check it out at erenew.net and when you do folks we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you to leave that five-star review why because we guarantee that you learn more about renewable energy when you left than when you came on board and that's what it's all about so for president and founder of e-renewable mr mike Niemer, i am your host fred davis thank you so much for tuning in this is the green insider powered by e-renewable where we make going green a whole heck of a lot easier thank you so much for tuning in good night god bless